Well, good afternoon, I suppose, everybody. How's it going? We literally got off a plane, I think it was like 12 o'clock yesterday. So I am very jet-lagged uh, right now. Uh, and by the grace of God, it's uh, good to be here. Wouldn't miss this for the world. Gotta go to some nice places. I was in Hawaii. Have you ever been to Hawaii? I was in uh, Oregon, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, and Florida. But how many know God saves the best for last? I'm in the great city of Cork, everybody. And uh, it's great to be here. And uh, this is my family. My wife uh, and my youngest, Jonathan, are upstairs uh, in the atrium. Uh, hello to everyone in the atrium. Uh, and the other three are back home. My oldest, who's the same height as me, which is a scary thing as a parent, um, turns 15 today. So how cool is that? Yeah, so Joshua. Turns 15, and Davi is 9, Isaiah is 8, they're Irish twins, and then we have a one-year-old, because I didn't pay attention in second year. <laughs> so there you go. And, uh, and I also was reminding my wife that this week is also our wedding anniversary. Aww. So, yeah, so you're clapping for her, right? Um, for all her work. So we celebrate uh, 17 years. 17 years, something like that, 2005, 17 years. Yeah, so 70 years married. After 10 years, stop counting, I'm just saying. Four kids, 10 years, who cares? You just keep going. Um, so yeah, so we're out, it's a cool week uh, for us. And of course, it's always a privilege at Grace. Um, I really do feel kind of part of the family. I've uh, been here a few times now and uh, love just being with you, be part of what God is doing in this great church, Tom and Denise and all the team. We love you guys, and I say this every time I hear because I really think it's important you guys know this, but your impact goes beyond just the city and the county of Cork and, of course, the province of Munster. You have an impact all over the island, and I'm sure all around the world, but I can tell you about ripple effects, what's happening here, the stories, the testimonies, you know, just, just God's faithfulness on this house and the inspiration and blessing it is all over the island of Ireland. And... Tom mentioned this in the first service, and I forgot to kind of comment off the back of it. Uh, one of the things that he and I do together is we both serve voluntarily on the board of an organization that plants new life-giving churches in Ireland. And we launched this a few years ago, and Grace is one of the partner churches, which means 2% of everything you give this church goes out to help launch brand new churches in Ireland. And it just occurred to me that this uh, next year, between now and next March at least, we have three brand new life-giving churches launching in Ireland. Come on. One in Dublin, one in Belfast, and we're launching our third location in Dundalk next March. If you know anyone up there on Dundalk, Newry, make sure to tell them to connect with us. And that will bring us next March to nine churches. So since we planted the first one in 2018, take out the kind of two years of lockdown, how strange was that? Uh, and what you get is in about three to four years, through your generosity, nine brand new life-giving churches have been launched on this island. That is worth you celebrating. That is worth you giving glory to God for. And I want to say thank you on behalf of Archive for your generosity. Come on, let's give it up uh, for yourselves and for... God, yeah, so we're excited because we really, I really, I, more than a prayer, I am convinced that God's greatest days for the church in Ireland are in front of us and not, we thank God, come on, don't we, for the past 
And I, I'm one of those people, I love St. Patrick's story, but I tell my church all the time, our prayers have to be better than, Lord, help us walk in the footsteps of St. Patrick. Our prayers need to be, thank you, God, for the footprints he left, but help us get to where they finished and create some new ones. Amen. And so I'm believing that God is raising up an army in this land who will have a vision for the kingdom and go out north, south, east and west, every county, village and town and proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. So today we honor that vision uh, too. Well, um, you know, as I was praying, thinking about God, what should I come and share with the great people of grace in the great uh, city of Cork? I did not expect to be here in these circumstances, i.e. melting to death. <laughs> you know, Ireland is in a real crisis right now. Because we can do a heat wave for a day or two, but by day three and four, we've run out of clothes. <laughs> right? Because we only ever go to pennies and buy three or four bits because we know when we go to Spain or ever, we can just keep wearing the same clothes because no one really knows us, you know what I'm saying? No one ever gets close enough to really smell us. But like we're hanging out with family and friends going to work, you need more than three pairs of shorts, like, you know what I'm saying? So we're in a real crisis right now uh, of clothing. And I don't mean, but I feel sorry for all those people that went to Went Holland's this week. What a waste of money. Like when Ireland has the sun, why would you even bother? You can keep your Spain, your lands, all your fancy places. I'm happy to be in Cork. It's roasting. And I have a theory about this. This is just for free. This is not biblical. Just my own personal theory. I believe one of the reasons why God, there's many reasons why God, but one of the reasons why God does not allow us to have the sun all the time it's because so many people would move here and the island would sink. <laughs> That's my theory. So God keeps it green and keeps it spacious so our beautiful island uh, does not sink. But anyway, besides that, as I was thinking about and praying about, Lord, what should I come uh, and share? I really felt God put in my heart to talk about words. Talk about words, how we speak, what we speak, why speaking is important. Every single one of us, we talk. Some of us talk more than others. Some of us just talk too much. And the point is, we all talk. And so what I want to do is I'm bring you a message called Word Count. I'm going to flick this thing and hopefully it works. Flick a router. Never mind these foes. There we go. And the message is called, catch up there please, screen. I don't know why that's not working. There we go. The message is called Word Count. And what I want to talk to you today is just like when you're writing something like a, like a like an e email, or you're writing maybe a, a paper for a college, and you have a word count. You know, we have a certain amount of words that God has given us in our lifetime, that God gives us in a certain season, that God gives us in certain relationships, that God gives us in a certain day. And I believe God has called us to steward those words, to pay attention to them, to direct them, to shape them, and to use them, to, to mobilize and deploy them as agents that bring blessing and hope and life to the world around us, right? Because even people, maybe you're one of those watching online in the room, even people who don't go to church or would say, I don't follow Jesus, even people who know nothing about church know that we as the church, we as people who claim to serve and love and follow Jesus, that we should speak and live and behave in a way that reflects him. Come on. And is it true that one of the reasons why people push back against the gospel message, against Jesus and against his church, usually there's many reasons, but usually one of the top reasons is because there are Christians, or so-called Christians out there, who just don't do a good job reflecting his nature in their attitude, their behavior, and very often their words. Not just spoken, but also the day and age we live in right now, typed. I don't know if you've gone online recently, but like, 
You know, right now there's just a battle of humanity online. There's so much negativity, so much hatred, so many things people say to and about each other online. It's just horrible. And I don't think the church should retreat and surrender to the online world. I believe we should enter it boldly and we should add value and bring hope and life. So I want to talk to you today about how do we do that, uh, practically speaking, on a personal level. But kind of a little story to get kicked off. As I was thinking about this, most of your phones has the autocorrect feature, right? You're texting someone and you text badly and so, you know, the phone cracks stuff. Well, I heard a story recently that made me laugh. A friend of my, a friend, friend of a friend's, his wife had just had a baby and she was trying on some clothes. She was trying jeans specifically and she texted a photo of herself in the jeans to her husband and asked the question, do I look fat in this? Now, young man, listen carefully. When your future wife is trying on something, and she says, do I look fat or slash ugly in this? Understand, it is definitely a trick question. <laughs> and no matter what you see and how accurate you believe your eyes to be, they're, they're not looking for your accuracy. They're looking for your empathy. You have a happy marriage get to like 17 like me and keep going? Trust me, okay? Now, because my friend's friend knew this, he immediately, not even thinking, text back, Capital N, capital O, 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 exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, and hit send. And as he's sitting there thinking, wow, what a great husband I am, I passed the test, he glances down and realizes that at the last second, his phone auto-corrected his text and changed the N to an M. So rather than saying, no, it said, <laughs> and Sean Keneally has never been heard of a senior since. God rest, God rest that poor man's soul. If you're like me, you grew up hearing this expression quite a lot, or using it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but absolutely words, names will never hurt me. And you know, I don't know if it's a Carlo thing or it's an All-Ireland thing, but I grew up in lots of different like, street wars and stuff, people throwing stones and sticks and I, I've, I've broken bones, I've got lumps. One time this fella threw a big old stone right before it knocked me out uh, cold. There was a massive lump for a few days. Like, I have, I, have, I have horror stories, war stories, of where sticks and stones hurt me. But as I stand before you today, the scars and the, and the damage that was done by those sticks and stones, thank God, has all been healed. And very often, if you're like me, I even forget some of these things happen. Someone will, you may even know, Fred and I said, you remember when? And you go, oh gosh, I forgot all about that. But the one thing we don't seem to be able to easily forget are the names that were not supposed to hurt us. Yeah. I mean, if you're like me, you can remember when someone that you loved, someone that you looked up to, or someone that you expected to care for you, said something <laughs> to you that was devastating, God bless you. Or you can remember when you, you're, you were vulnerable, you went to a parent, maybe a father in particular, looking for affirmation, looking for a sense of security, and what you got was ridicule and judgment. You see, we're told that words don't hurt us, but what we experience is that we easily forget sticks and stones, but we often never forget the words that can never hurt me. This is because, you know this, nothing new here, this is because words, our words, are incredibly powerful. The scripture speaks us in many ways. Our words are incredibly powerful. Did you know that um, we all have a certain amount of words given to us per day? 
And research has been done this and it discovered that the average man, for example, speaks between 2,000 and 3,000 words a day. Which is why, ladies, when your man comes home and you're like, how was your day? And he goes, grand. <laughs> it's because he has used 2,995 of his words and he only has five left. And there could be a game on that night, he needs to keep at least three for the referee. So don't judge the guy, he's hardwired the way. Now guys, come on, we want to have happy marriages. What we can do is we can keep at least a hundred words, can't we? For our wives every single day. But would you believe in contrast, the average woman has between 10,000 and 20,000 words a day. No wonder we can't keep up. Five times more words, which is crazy. Women have so many words that when you ask them how their day went, you reverse the question. Not only will they tell you every detail, but they'll also recite every word of every conversation. They've got words to spend. I mean, they're like a rapper on tour. I just can't burn that thing fast enough. It's crazy. No, it's really interesting. Again, if you want to check this out, this is off an article called Men Are Pigs, but fortunately women like bacon. And uh, yes, some say men. And uh, it's a group of psychologists. And what they discover is actually both sexes, male and female, actually use the same amount of what they call words of value, actual words of meaning. It's somewhere between 500 and 700 words a day. The difference is women just go the long way. You know what I'm saying? We take the shortcut, they just go the scenic route, the trees and the birds and the colors and what Mary said and Johnny said. And Mary said again, then there was this thing of Mary and Johnny. And, you know, and then I went to the shop and I bought the milk, the right milk, the low fat milk. Got the oat milk, and then I met. I was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, I wasn't even there, and I'm exhausted. Listen to me. I'm sorry. Anyway, 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 let's not martyr any good men in this place today. The point is, we have a lot of us have a lot of words, and those words, even especially the words of value, those words can be directed and sent out to bring hope, life, and blessing. We're going to call that life giving, or those words can be weaponized and used to hurt and tear down and destroy people. You see, we have two choices. We as, we as Christ followers specifically, but we as humans in, in general, we can either be people that are life-giving, we're always you know, adding value, we're always encouraging, always bringing hope and inspiration, calling people's attention to God. Why? Because he's the God of the impossible. You're facing a scenario, you don't have the resource to, to fix it or to, or to get through it by yourself. You don't have to because God is available. But if we're not going to be life-giving, then the alternative is that we're life-sucking. And you all know what it's like to be around someone who's life-giving. When you're having a bad day and you're struggling and you just cannot seem to see the sun through the clouds, you get around a life-giving person and all of a sudden you leave their presence hopeful, happy, with a sense of expectation that God's going to do something. They lift you up. But you cannot be having the best day of your life out there skipping and singing in the 45 million degree heat here in Cork. You know what I'm saying? On your way to buy an ice cream, life is good. And you get around a life-sucking person and they just seem to suck all the joy and all the life and all the positivity out of you. And, 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 and all of a sudden what happens is, is people who tend to be, without realizing it, uh, too life-sucking, tend to be alone. And tend to be isolated. Maybe one of the reasons why you don't have more friends is because your attitude, rather than adding value, is sucking from people. Now I believe we as Christians, we as, I only speak to those of us 
who are Jesus followers. I believe the nature of God is to give life. He's a life-giving God. And there's many ways we can do that. Like I said, attitude and action and different things. But specifically, I want to talk to you about words. Because words can bring life. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, we all have moments, memories, and stories where we blew up every single thing with our words. Our words, they're out there. Like I said, 3,000 if you're a dude, up to 20,000 if you're a lady. Our words are always working in a direction. They're either working with us and for us, or they're working in spite of us and against us. And here's what you have to recognize about yourself right now. A huge portion or a huge part of your life, your identity, your direction, your purpose, your, your priorities, a huge portion of, of who you are right now has been shaped by words that were spoken to you, words that were spoken over you, and words that were spoken about you. Maybe the reason why you chose the career path you were in is to prove something that was said against you wrong. Maybe the reason why you, you, you make choices about where you go in life, where you live, how you spend your money, maybe the reason, part of the reason why you make those choices is because echoing in the recesses of your subconscious are words that were spoken over you. And here's the challenge. The enemy, he wants to hijack those words and pull us down and fill us with grief and despair and a sense of hopelessness. But the Holy Spirit wants to speak different kind of words. Words of hope and life and possibility. Not only are we recipients of words spoken to us, over us and about us, but we're also people who speak. So everything we say is shaping the world of those around us. And guess whose words your, guess whose world your words shape the most? Those who love you. Isn't that... Such a human tragedy that when we weaponize our words and deploy them for, contact, for combat, the person that they most grievously affect isn't, isn't often random strangers. It's those that we would say we love the most. How can you be broken heart? How can you mourn the loss of a relationship? How can you be on the receiving end of mean words if you didn't care about the person to begin with? Very often we don't care what random strangers think, but we care deeply about those who we love think. Words are powerful. Why? Because words carry a meaning. Meaning, Because words have the power to touch our emotion. It's so interesting. Think of this. Did you know that your brain, when it comes to storing information, memories, your brain doesn't really just take arbitrary information and just log it and categorize it. Your brain, to be able to create a memory, attaches information to emotion. That's how your brain's able to recall events. It wasn't, it wasn't, it isn't that your brain is really good, and, and, and again, science has shown us, it isn't that your brain is really accurate at recounting exactly how, how events were, but your brain is very good at remembering how that event made you feel. Our memory is driven by emotion. I can't think of anything that more greatly affects our memory over time than the words that we speak against others and the words that are spoken over us. Words shape our world. Words, your words, shape. This isn't just some weird self-help like be more positive and, you know, and speak. You know. No, no, there's real power in this. And again, there's so many examples in Scripture. I'm going to turn to one in a second. I'm going to go straight to the source, go straight to what Jesus said about this. But I want you to see your words every single day 
are shaping your world. You know, I, as a pastor and as a married man, so often I sit with people, and I know it's true in my own marriage, and it's so easy to complain, isn't it, husbands or wives, about all the things your spouse doesn't do or should do or you wish they did. And it's so easy to complain and speak negatively. And so many marriages that are not careful, the only form of communication in marriage can become arguing and calling each other terrible things. And rather than moaning, complaining about what things are not and what things should be, how about we make a commitment today, married couples, to speak to each other as God speaks to us, with grace and blessing and with mercy. Think about our online world, especially those of you right now who are under 30 and, and there's you know, battlefield out there. It's so easy to get sucked into all the negativity. It's so easy to get sucked into all the, all the junk out there. I mean, like, just a while back I was talking to my son and, and he was talking about something in school. And, like, it's, he's a happy, kind of go-lucky kind of guy. But I could see his, like, his, 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 just his demeanor changing. He's been sucked into this. And when I looked at it, really what it was was complete nonsense. And it's like, hey, how about we as the church make a decision to be a beacon of light in the online world? Amen. That when everyone is tearing each other down, we're the first voice of hope. Amen. We're the first comment of mercy. We're the first ones to give the world, watch this, the benefit of the doubt. Amen. You know why? Because even though you may have opinions like I do, like we all do, very often we're wrong. Very often our opinions are just our opinions. Very often they're not found in any kind of you know, scientific fact or truth. Very often the people there point to that, we don't even know them. And there was a time, there was a space in time where God gave you and I the benefit of the doubt. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross because maybe we were wrong. And he is right. Now we know we are wrong and he is right. But before that we think we're wrong. We're right and he's wrong, right? But God showed us the benefit of that maybe we can do in the world that we live in is show people the benefit of the doubt. Not just in attitude, not just in action, but also with our words. So the question I ask is, how do, I, how do we make our words count in a way that shapes our world for the better? And the answer is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. So you have, you can open Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45, and I'll show it uh, on the screen uh, here. This is Jesus speaking. Now, Scholars call this little portion of scripture, they call it the Sermon on the Plain. Those of you who've grown up in church or been around church a while, you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, right? Anyone know where is where in the New Testament is the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, thank you, someone got it right. One person in this place knows where it is, that's great. Um, Tom, you were very quiet there. <laughs> just checking. Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. I know you know. Um, and people go, well, why is it called a sermon? Because in Matthew 5, the beginning, it says, Jesus went up a hillside and began to teach. Hence, Sermon on the Mount. The reason why this is called the Sermon on the Plain is because in verse 17, it says, Jesus found a large flat place and began to teach. So there you go, that's why it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And in verse 43, this is what Jesus says. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit, People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Now, this is, again, Jesus uses a metaphor. It's a parable. It's kind of like a simile. He's trying, to, he's trying to use a practical example to bring out a spiritual truth. And ultimately, what he's trying to get across is that when what's in us is good, 
what comes from us is good. And when what's in us is bad, what comes from us is bad. Now, the good that he mentions is very important. The good that he mentions here isn't moral good. Like, I'm going to try my hardest to be good. It's, it's a good that comes from being made righteous. And the only way that we can be made righteous as human beings in the world is because we've received a righteousness that we didn't have ourselves, right? Because if we were able to fix ourselves, if we were able to heal ourselves, if we were able to fulfill ourselves, we would have no need for God. But the good news of the gospel is this. When you're broken, and when you're downtrodden, and when you're rejected, and when you're weary, and when you're lost, there is hope and there is help in the person of Jesus. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. All you have to do is open your heart and receive it freely. It's a gift from God. That's why we're celebrating baptism. Because baptism is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. Those people, those of you who are considering getting baptized, when you go under, you're saying to the world, the old me, with my desires, with my old priorities, my old identity, it's gone. And what, what com who comes out of the water is a new creation in Christ with new purpose and new direction and new destiny. And if you're having a baptized, let me encourage you to sign up today to make a public profession of your faith. And when we receive that goodness, the Holy Spirit transforms our heart and the goodness of God is put within us. And here's, here's what Jesus is trying to show us. When the goodness of God is within us, then the goodness of God should come out of us. Bad things don't come from a good place, right? Nor should good things come from a bad place. There's something wrong when we, and again, it's specifically for those of us online in the room who are Christ followers. Okay, if you're not a Christ follower, you know, there's some good things here. But it doesn't really apply to you. This is for people who have received the goodness of God. Jesus saying, it doesn't make sense when God lives within you for bad stuff to come out of you. And he used an analogy that would have made perfect sense in the first century. He said, people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, right? Well, I never picked a fig before. I don't know. I mean, I've had fig rolls. I've often wondered how do they get the fig in the roll. Definitely my top five questions for God are going to be, God, how did they get the fig in the fig roll? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the closest I've ever been uh, to a fig. But again, because Jesus is speaking to an agrarian society, an agricultural society, they understood this. To kind of translate on the way down this morning, we stopped off to have a breakfast roll. Because when you've been out of Ireland for a while, you come home and you need two things. Number one, a cup of tea. And number two, a breakfast roll. And so it's like, I don't know, some godforsaken hour in the morning. I'm standing in this petrol station, watching the lady make my breakfast. She did a great job, by the way. And this thought occurs to me. When you order a full Irish on the plate, it comes with a tomato. Which I've always thought, really? All this fat and grease, and you throw half a tomato on the plate? Like, is it, to, is it to ooze our you know, guilty conscience? I don't know why it's even there. Anyway, that's a different conversation. But I started thinking, why do we, why do we when it comes to a full Irish on a plate, put a tomato? But then when you ask to have your full Irish in a roll, no one puts a tomato in. Have you ever thought of this? I mean, this is like mind-blowing stuff, right? It's like spiritual download. For some reason, someone decided somewhere that a tomato's okay on the plate, but don't put it in a breakfast roll. 
You think, that may, somehow, even though it makes no sense, that makes perfect sense in Ireland. So Jesus is saying, in the same way you don't put a tomato in your breakfast roll, right? Bad things don't come from people who are filled with the goodness of God. There's a modern Irish translation. Okay, verse 45. He kind of concludes. A good person, therefore, brings good things stored out of the good in their heart. An evil person brings evil things out of the evil stuff there. Now, if Jesus finished right here, we can all say amen. What a great, that's a, Jesus, what a great point, you know. Basically, if you're full of good, good should come out. If you're full of bad, bad should come out. If you're full of good, bad should come out. Like, what a great object lesson. It's the next line that's the kicker. It's the next line that brings the wallop, the slap, the punch. Why? Because he takes this incredible spiritual principle about general good and bad and he applies it to you and me, specifically to what comes out of our mouths, off our tongues, what comes through our lips. For he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's the slap? How do you know if you're good or bad? How do you know if you're in a good place or a bad place? How do you know if you're walking in step as Paul said with the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how you know. Your mouth will reveal where your heart is. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, that's a bit harsh. I mean, seriously? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you said something mean and hurtful and destructive and then said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it? Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Why, would we, why do we say it? If we didn't mean it, we wanted to fight back. We wanted to send that verbal projectile in their direction. We wanted them to know that we're not happy and we're going to go down. We wanted to cause damage. Now, after the effect, we regret. But that doesn't change the truth of our motive. That we weren't in a place where we thought we were with life, with love, and with God. And Jesus said, this is actually somewhat of a weird gift. Why? Because how we can keep self-correcting ourselves as Christians, knowing where am I in relation to God's will and personal life, a lot of times what's coming out of your mouth is revealing it. And we can, we can deny it and we can hide it and we can wish it wasn't that way. But the truth is, Jesus said it, not me. Don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. Jesus said, the mouth speaks but the heart is full. That word full in the Greek language is the word parasuma. And in other translations, it's translated as overflow. And that literally means, that word overflow, parasuma, means that which fills us, resides in us, we delight. In other words, you've all heard the expression, you are what you eat, right? So, I mean, the more we consume something, the more it consumes us. The more we delight in something, the more we allow to fill, it, fill us, the more we, we allow to reside in us, eventually what's in us overflows in us and flows out of us into the world around us. You see, Jesus is saying, to put it another way, in other words, to be put, what's in our hearts will be in our words. God's love is in our hearts to the degree that he desires us to have it. It'll be in our words. If God's mercy and God's grace and God's generosity, come on, and, and, and honor and all these wonderful things, if these things are in our hearts at the level that God desires us to have them, then the evidence will be, not solely, but partially, in our words. Now fast forward the clock 
later on to the Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the Apostle Paul picks up on this thought. He says, hey, because we've received Christ, because we've come to the light of the salvation, that we should put off, in verse 17, our old way of life. And in verse 25, specifically he says, with our words, he said we should get rid, is the expression he uses, we should get rid of, of, of unwholesome talk, of life-sucking speech. And again, in the Greek language, that phrase, get rid, is a word picture. And what the word picture is, it's like when you, when you, when you go to your, your bin, it's, it's overflowing with the wrong kind of stuff, right? Rubbish. It's, it's full to the point. If you're like me, you get a little nudge from your loving wife to go, hey, go change the bin. That's my job at home. And so you go and you change the rubbish. And when you change the bin, you don't just pull the rubbish out and throw it in the corner, right? You take it out of the domestic bin, you leave your house and put it in the outside bin. Why? Because if you leave that rubbish in your house, watch this, after a while, it's going to begin to smell. And if you don't deal with it, you'll get used to smell, which is very scary, by the way. And then it will make you sick. But because we live in a family, it will make those we love sick too. See, if we're not careful, stinking thinking, as often referred to, makes us sick. Makes those around us sick. And makes us smelly. And we wonder why no one wants to be our friend. No one wants to hang out. No one wants to answer our texts. Maybe because you're the life-sucking person in the circle. I'm sorry. Maybe if we all endeavor, and this is me included, to be more, more life-giving, more hopeful, more generous, come on, more blessing-oriented in how we talk, maybe people would want to be around us because we're a life-giving person. See, Jesus is saying, it's not just what we say and how we say it. That's a sermon of the day. But it's why we say it that matters. Where is what you're saying coming from. We should get rid of words, rubbish words, trash talk. What are words that are trash talk? Number one, words that demean. Number two, words that degrade. Number three, words that disrespect. Anything that we say that says to another person, you do not matter, get rid of those words. Anything we say that, that, that would say to a person, you don't measure up to what? To my expectation of what a man is, or a woman should be, or a pastor should be, or whatever it should be. Like, whenever we, whenever we set a bar that we ourselves can't even attain, get rid of those words. And last, and most importantly, get rid of words that are disrespectful. Because every single person, even the ones that you don't like, and don't like you, are made in the image and likeness of God. And when we're demeaning and degrading, and disrespectful of other human beings, what we're demeaning and disrespecting is the image and likeness of God in that person. I'm not saying we have to agree with everything they like and do. I'm not saying we didn't become their BFF. We don't. But we are called, according to Jesus' standards, to love them. And love is made evident by what comes off our lips. What's in our hearts will be in our words. Now, Again, there's so much in that we could spend a whole series unpacking. But what I want to do as I close is I want to give you some practical examples. So if that's what if that's what trash talk is, spiritual trash talk, or anything that I say, anything that I say that demeans, degrades, and disrespects, I need to pick up and get rid of. Then the question is, what should I put in its place? What should replace that kind of speak? And the answer is, well, we should speak the language of God, and the language of God is a life 
giving language. I don't know, I've always believed that the accent of heaven is an Irish accent. <laughs> if you hear a small voice in your head and it sounds like an Irish person, it's probably the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, I can't back it up, it's just my opinion. But if it's not Irish, then it's gotta be life-giving, definitely, okay? And so what are, so this is not exhaustive, what are some of the characteristics? What are some of the, if demeaning, degrading, disrespectful are life-sucking, then what are some, some of the ways that we can speak in a life-giving way? And again, this isn't exhaustive, it's just suggestive. Number one, I think that God wants us to be people who speak to, about, and over others with honor. Now understand, I teach our churches all the time, me honoring other people is not about the other person being honorable, it's about me being honoring. Honor isn't about them, but what's in them. Honor is about what's in me. Who's in me? God is in me. And if you're a Christ follower, God's in you. Therefore, as we recognize the image and likeness of, of God in other people, we honor that. We speak in a way that is honoring. And again, the motive for that is we see the worth. We see the, we see the, the value of people. Romans 12, 12.10 Be devoted to one another love and honor one another above yourselves. Can you imagine what would happen to this city if all of a sudden an honor explosion broke out? Or it's like, I don't agree with them. I don't, I don't see things the way they see it, but I can honor this, or I can honor that, or I can honor whatever. We're trying to find ways that we, that, that without us having to compromise what we believe, yes. we can honor. Maybe it's just completely transform how we talk to each other. Here's another one. What about integrity? Now, we often know about integrity in terms of how I, how I live my life. And again, that's a mess from the other day. But how about, how would they do that? Our life and our speech are supposed to be following the same track. You know? Like the word integral, to be whole, to be one. And again, the, the motive is congruence. It says in Proverbs 11.3, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now again, we think of this in, in terms of behavior and lifestyle. But what about the duplicity of me saying I follow Jesus, but I treat other people like trash? I treat my wife like trash. Isn't it amazing that as parents, you know, I've got four boys, I told you earlier. As parents, we're given this incredible responsibility to raise human beings. Like, you go with your life one day, you get pregnant, woo, and then boom, a person. Like, you've already screwed up with the first version, and now somebody's going to help a second version. And if we're not careful as parents, all our, all our kids will ever grow up under is, you shouldn't, and, and you're in trouble, and don't do this, and, and being given out to, and again, I'm all for rules, I'm all for discipline, and so on. But at some point, we have to be, we have to get in control of our words, and ask ourselves the question, parent, are you affirming, and encouraging, and empowering your young person in the call and purpose of God in their life? Do you pray for them? Not just when they're there, but do you actually, when they're there, say, let me pray for you. You know, one of the best ways for someone to know your heart is to hear you pray for them. Pray for your children when they're there. Let them hear, I know, especially as a dude. It can be hard because what's in there is deep, deep down. There's many vaults and doors. I am the worst at this, so don't look at me as an example. But I know, and I try my best. Just before I came back from America, all my sons for some reason we got on their knees, I don't know why I just felt more spiritual. And I just prayed for them. And all I, all I, all I was doing was affirming what God had already put within them. I, I, my kids know I'm not a perfect parent. They've lived with me for a week, you know I'm not a perfect parent. But they understood my heart. That they're in there, in here is a desire. There's an integrity in here that longs to see them win in life. 
I'll just fly through these because we're out of time. Humility. And again, humility isn't about putting yourself down. Humility is about lifting others up. Think of it this way. If you're, if you're putting yourself down and you lift someone up, you haven't really lifted them up very far, have you? Because you're all out of there. But when you're secure in who you are and you know God's called you to be, and you're not arrogant and obnoxious, you're, you're, just, you're just solid, you're stable, and then you honor someone, well now you're able to lift them up somewhere because you're standing on the ground that God has given you. Humility is about lifting us and we're called as the church to be completely humble, which is a crazy uh, goal, and to be gentle and patient and bearing. It's almost like if we focus on being humble, we become gentle, patient, and we become more loving. Mercy. And again, here's a kicker. Jesus said well, we should be merciful just as your father now, not merciful like you're, you, that wasn't very merciful, I thought it was. Yeah, but it wasn't your standards. Here's a question. How merciful is God with you right now? Because that's a scary thought. When I became a Christian, I was convinced nobody else could become a Christian because I used all of God's mercy. Like whatever was left in time, was like, that's me. Took all of it to get me here. It amazes me that just when I think I've, I've exhausted the resource of God's mercy every single day. It's made new. Yeah. Every day. We, just as we've received that mercy, should show that mercy to others, especially with our words. Gratitude, uh, respect, and last but not least, blessing. Because in a world right now that's torn apart by, by faction and division and strife, I think now more than ever, God has called us as his people to be a people of blessing. Didn't Jesus say that we should, where is it? That we should love our friends, love our neighbors, love our favorite team. What about the team you don't like? What about the people who you tried to like, but didn't like you, and so you didn't like them anymore? Like you tried, but they didn't like you. Like, what about people who just decided, for whatever reason, they're your enemies? Jesus said that we as his people should love our enemies. Next line. And bless them. So again, apply the logic. How do I know I'm loving my enemy when you're able to bless them? How do I know I'm good with God when what comes off my lips is life-giving and God-honoring? We're called to be a community of faith in this city that is distinct. We have core values. Some of those values, most of those values, all those values are non-negotiable. We won't compromise. We won't give in to the cultural current of our day. However, how we speak to, how we speak over, and how we speak about those that disagree us and hate us and speak badly to us and about us, they position themselves as enemies. Those people we're called to love. And we're called to bless. I believe as we go to a moment of prayer, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us, wants for you and for me, wants to help us make our words count. To, to direct and deploy our words in our marriages, in school, online, in church, in the world, in a way that adds value, brings blessing, and makes a difference. But if we focus on the fruit, the fig, and at the root, our hearts, that it's only cosmetic surgery. We need a heart transplant. And thank God that the Holy Spirit is in this room. And he is in the business 
of heart transformation. I want to pray for your marriage, is that okay? I want to pray for your kids. I want to pray for this. I want to pray for this city. That we, as the people of God, will be a life-giving people. Amen. That we would make our words count. That we would speak of honor and integrity and mercy and gratitude and respect and blessing. And many other things, I'm sure, that could be added. And that in doing so, in our speaking to, about, and over each other in our community, that the world would know. By our love for each other, the world would know that we are his. Amen. Yes.